God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather. And we thank you, too, for the folks that are with us through that live stream option who are unable to gather with us. But we thank you that they tune in to hear your word proclaimed and to join us as we sing. And we thank you that the kingdom of God is not um, stuck in one particular locale, that even as we gather together here, we recognize that all around the world, your people are coming together in congregations gathered together who love you deeply, who meet with one another in order to praise Jesus and celebrate the grace that they've received and proclaim the gospel. And we thank you that we belong to that much wider church. We, we praise you that, that we're blessed to have that opportunity. And God, I pray that as we gather, as our church gathers, that you would look and see that we are a faithful church and a faithful people that we love you as our first love. We love you more than anything else. We have no gods besides you. I pray that you would see that our hearts are filled with gratitude with the grace that we have received and that we are truly learning to be more like Christ, bearing the fruit that comes from your spirit in us. And God, as, I, as we do these things, I, I ask that you would um, increase our influence to reach other people who are far from you, that they too might share in the hope and the joy that we have. We thank you so much for your word that makes us wise and guides us. And I ask this morning that as we look at your word, that you would bless us through that time and you would be well pleased and well glorified. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if your Bible isn't already open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's where I would ask you to turn and open your Bible to. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one of ours. You're welcome to grab one off of the, the table right now or take one on your way out when you head home. Let that be our gift to you. And uh, you can also pull up an app on your phone. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we've been making our way slowly through the book of Genesis. Can you believe it? Or believe it? We've been doing that since July of last year. So we've been making our way through Genesis for a year and we're going to now make a little shift and we'll come back to Genesis to finish it. Um, and if you think being in Genesis for a year is a long time, how long were we in Luke? Like three years? So we are, was it really five years? It was not five years. <laughs> the point is we are cruising through Genesis. But we're going to take a break from Genesis and instead we're going to spend some time talking through the mission and vision and values of our church. And I think from time to time, it is important for us together as a congregation to think through this question. Why are we here? Why are we here? Why do we as a church exist? Because in the midst of our busy lives and in the face of all the things that we do together as a church, camping trips and small groups and donuts before church, I think it can be possible that we might fall into some routines and forget why we are really here, why we really exist as a church. And if we lose sight of the mission of the church, then it would be best for us to just shut it down. I think you've heard me say that before. And that's not just my opinion. I think that that's actually biblical. If a church loses sight of why it exists, you should shut it down. And that's biblical because if we look first at the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel, when they forgot why they existed, what did God do? He sent them into captivity and exile. He shut it down. 
And at the end of the New Testament, when you read the book of Revelation, you find there in chapters 2 and 3, seven letters written to seven different churches that existed in the early days of the church. And Jesus tells at least a few of those churches that if they don't get their focus back together and remember why they exist and what they are supposed to be doing, then he will remove them from his presence. Maricopa Springs Family Church is only relevant as a church as long as we are focused on the things which God himself has given the church to do. And so it's good for us to be reminded from time to time about the mission and the vision and the values of our church in order to make sure that we are still running the race on the path that Christ himself marked out for his people. So today I want to lay kind of a broad overview of the mission that we're on by looking at this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you just heard it read for us by my son Aiden, but let's read it again. Picking up in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, so this passage, broadly speaking, is about Paul's suffering for the sake of the church in Corinth. And it's also about his confidence that whatever suffering or affliction we might face in this life, it is all worth it. It's worth it for the greater glory of Jesus that is one day going to be fully revealed to us in eternity, in the life to come. And so I want to draw out of this passage for you one mission, two responsibilities, and three outcomes. How's that for an outline? One mission, two responsibilities, three outcomes. You're like, wow, Grady can actually do outlines in his preaching? I didn't know that he did that. There it is. One mission, two responsibilities, three outcomes. Okay, ready? Ready? The one mission that we are on together as a church is to help people meet and follow Jesus. That's it. That's the mission. We exist to help people 
meet and follow Jesus. And if you've been around our church for any period of time, I would hope that that sounds vaguely familiar to you. Another way that you could say this mission is that we exist as a church to make disciples of Jesus, which is exactly what Jesus commanded his church to do right before he ascended from the earth back into heaven to be with God the Father. He told his followers, go, because all authority on earth and in heaven belongs to me as Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And in making disciples, teach them to do everything that I commanded you to do. Go and work to turn normal, average, everyday people like you and like me into apprentices who learn to live in the same way in which Christ himself daily lived. And so our mission statement at Maricopa Springs says then first that we exist to help people meet Jesus, which is really the natural first step of discipleship. You cannot follow Jesus as a disciple, obviously, if you've not first met him and heard him say to you, repent and believe and follow me. That's how Jesus began his ministry, repent and believe. And then with the invitation, follow me. Now, this work of helping people meet and follow Jesus was also the Apostle Paul's singular focus, singular devotion, singular passion in his life, which is how we end up with this text that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul planted the church in Corinth, and he says in his other letter to the church in Corinth, which is 1 Corinthians, back in chapter 15 of that letter, that he passed on to them what was of first importance to them, the good news of reconciliation with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he taught them the way of Jesus. He taught them to follow Jesus so that in following Christ, their lives might be transformed into the likeness of Jesus through the power of God at work in them. And because Paul is eager to see these people continue to follow Jesus, no matter what cost might be associated with following him, Paul encourages them in this particular part of his letter to press on, press on. In verses 10 through 11, he says that through all of our suffering in life, we carry with us the death of Christ. That is, through the trials that we experience in this life, we are learning to die to our sinful selves, to put to death what is earthly in us. That in that vacuum where we are dying, something else might begin to grow and take root and come to life. So that the life of Jesus might push out the sinful life of the flesh and take over the heart and grow the kingdom of God in us. We decrease in ourselves so that Christ might increase in us. And so for the sake of Christ in us, then, we embrace the cross of our death in order that in our mortal flesh, our daily lives, we might see Jesus come to life. We might see the life of Jesus be manifest in who we are and what we do. We die to our sin in order that we might live to his righteousness. That made me think 
of fifth grade where I met a boy named Dante, and Dante had just the most infectious, generous, warm laugh. Like every time he laughed, you just couldn't help but laugh. And I hung around Dante and, and realized that when I wasn't around Dante, I started to laugh like Dante. Because like I just wanted to be like Dante in the way that he laughed, right? That's the kind of effect that Jesus has on us. And this is what it means to meet Jesus. As he captures you and he draws you into himself. And then you desire to follow him. And then you desire to be like him. And you find that that desire is given, it's, it's actually honored by God. He actually does that work. He transforms you. And so to meet Jesus is to be humbled. You see your sin. And you see his righteousness. And you hear him say to you, I love you. Not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. And when you meet Jesus like that, your heart just becomes captivated by his mercy, by his beauty, by how generous and infectious he is. And you find that God gives you this desire to just follow him so that his life and your life basically become one in the same thing. Okay, so that's the one mission of Maricopa Springs Family Church, to help people meet and follow Jesus, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus, to make disciples or apprentices of Jesus. And that was the mission that Jesus himself had during his ministry, right? Come, follow me. It was the mission of Paul during his life, which is why he traveled all over the world planting churches. And that mission to make disciples has been the mission of Maricopa Springs Family Church since day one. We've not, we've not ever changed that, that mission. And it was the mission of the church since the apostles. And so I think it's worth pausing here for just a second to ask this question to you. Are you on that mission? Are you on that mission? And really what I mean by that is like, let's, let's focus down to your own personal life for just a moment. Is it the goal of your life to actually follow Jesus? Is that your ambition? Because the mission begins first with you and me personally accepting this invitation to be a disciple. That's really where it begins. You know, maybe you realize as I ask this question that actually you're not really on that mission. Really kind of what is at the center of your heart is just this desire to kind of be a good person or like a churchy person, right? To kind of go to church like 26 weeks out of the year so that you get one more than half, or to be kind of a religious -y person, right? Or what I hear people say a lot today is like, I'm a spiritual person. What does that even mean? See, a churchy person or a good person or a religious person or a spiritual person is not actually a follower of Jesus. That is categorically different, to be a follower of Jesus. A churchy person, a good person, a religious person, they're not on the mission to be like Jesus. They are on a mission to make Jesus like them, which is a totally different thing. Totally. And the truth is, Jesus only likes you if you actually do what he commands. If you actually follow him. 
Do I need to say that again? Jesus only likes you if you actually do what he commands and if you actually follow him. And if you think that that's like deeply offensive, go read your Bible. And that is why our church is here to help people meet and to follow Jesus. Because we want to make people who are like Christ. Now, in that mission as a church, we have two responsibilities. Our responsibilities are to believe and to speak. Look at verses 13 and 14. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So Paul here in verse 13 is quoting from Psalm 116 verse 10. Here's just a pastoral encouragement to you. If you see some kind of quote like this in the Bible when you're reading, that should cause you to look for a little footnote and go down to the bottom and try and discover like where is this coming from? Where is this quote being taken from? And and then go back, okay? Paul in verse 13 is quoting from Psalm 116 verse 10. And he says about that psalm that it was written in faith. It was written with a spirit of faith. And we who believe, we share that same faith. We are essentially in the same position as the author of that psalm. And if you were to go back to Psalm 116 and you would read, you would see that that whole psalm is about God's mercy in the midst of suffering and anguish. In fact, the verse that Paul quotes there, he does not include the whole verse. I think he kind of assumes that we know where it's going. But the whole verse says, I believed... Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I believed, even when I was speaking the truth, that I am greatly afflicted. That verse is dealing with the difficulty of unbelief. It is saying that regardless of what I might see around me, the affliction that I am experiencing, I will steadfastly trust God even in the midst of that difficulty. This life is a life of affliction, right? That was, that's the summary of my whole sermon last week. You're like, Grady, why didn't you just say it like that? Could have been a lot shorter. Life is a life of affliction. But we as Christians are called to be true disciples of Jesus on this mission, believing in faith regardless of, of what we experience as we follow Jesus. Paul's been addressing this idea, the suffering of the Christian life, by telling us we have this great treasure in jars of clay. Back in verse 7, remember that? Literally, the treasure that we have is the life of Christ being made manifest in our bodies. Our bodies are the jars of clay. They are frail, breakable, mortal, Human, flesh, made from dust. And while we live and we follow Jesus, we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted by the trials of this life. But even though we might say, as we go through those trials, I am greatly afflicted. 
still our responsibility is to believe. And so we engage in this mission to help people meet and follow Jesus. We do it clinging to Christ in belief. We must remain steadfast in our faith. We must have endurance for the race, trusting in Christ. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit gave the psalmist the confidence to say, I believe even when I'm greatly afflicted. And that same Spirit gives us that very same faith to say, I believe. Even when it's tough, I believe. You know, when I was in high school, believe it or not, I played football. And there were many games where we were behind in the score. And you've probably seen, you know, this kind of thing, the half room or the halftime, you know, pep rally with the coach in the, in the locker room, right? When the coach sent us out on the field to play, even when we were behind in the score, we had to believe there was still a possibility that we could win this game. Otherwise, you know what happens if you don't believe in, in the face of opposition, you give over to the opposition. And it becomes true. You lose. We would have played with less commitment and less enthusiasm if we got on the field and we did not believe in the victory that we could win. And if we lose our trust in God because of the trials that we go through, that we will inevitably go through, we are certain to forfeit this mission. We will look at the mission and we will say, God, it's, it's too big. What you've tasked me to do, it's not possible. I can't do, I don't have the strength. And we will fail and we will lose. Let me be a little vulnerable with you at this point. You know, on our mission to help people meet and follow Jesus, one of our, one of our responsibilities is to believe, to persevere in our faith, to keep at the work of being a disciple and making disciples despite the difficulties. Well, man, I've been at this since 2010. Church planting here at Maricopa Springs. I don't know that you can call it a church plant anymore. But planting and pastoring Maricopa Springs, I mean, it really kind of began in 2009, but we held our first church service in 2010. And the simple fact of the matter is, I have very often in this role felt afflicted. I felt perplexed. I have felt struck down. I felt abandoned. To be totally honest with you, a lot of this journey has really sucked. It's tempted me to surrender. It's tempted me to just give up. I've grown to spend time with people and love them and invest in them and call them friends or brothers or like an extension of my own family. And then one day they say, We're moving and they leave. I've had other people totally abandon me and ghost me for reasons I can't understand. And all of my phone calls and emails and text messages go totally unanswered. And I have no idea why they treat me like they hate me. I've had people who I thought were brothers or sisters betray me and then viciously slander me around town, angrily blaming me for things, accusing me for things that I didn't do. And I've watched others who I thought were sincere, committed Christ followers abandon the faith and, and shipwreck their faith in foolishness and in sin, giving up the gospel of grace for something far less valuable. 
And here I am 12 years into this mission, and our church still meets in this crummy building that's hot, and I have to watch you swat flies while I preach. It really hasn't grown numerically. And on a daily basis, I feel like a total failure, like I'm supposed to care for the sheep. I don't feel like I do that very well. I'm supposed to actually help people become disciples of Jesus. And half the time I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing in that. How can I teach people to do that? I am often afflicted, often perplexed, often feeling struck down. I, it gets so bad sometimes I fantasize about, go, about going to work at Circle K. Like, I think I would be good at that. But that's about all I think I would be good at. But I'm not telling you this to capture your pity or to elicit some kind of sympathy for me. I'm telling you this because I'm still here. Right? I am here. I believe, even though I am afflicted, I still believe through all of the affliction that God is at work at Maricopa Springs. Not because of me, in spite of me. He doesn't need me, but he's given me the opportunity. I still believe that through all the affliction, God is working. And you know what else I know? If I do this for another 12 years, guess what I will face? More affliction. More hardship. More trials. More difficulty. More suffering. More heartbreak. But I still believe. It's worth it. Like Paul says in verse 16, see it? I do not lose heart. My first responsibility is simply to believe as I carry out this mission. And so I look to the things that are unseen. I look to Christ and his kingdom that I cannot fully see with my eyes from here. I steadfastly trust that this testing of my faith and this testing of your faith is leading both to our greater maturity and our greater love for God and more and more disciples of Jesus brought into the kingdom of God where we desire all people to be. And so our first responsibility on our mission to help people meet and follow Jesus, our first responsibility is to believe in God's power to accomplish that work regardless of what our eyes might perceive and regardless of what afflictions we might experience along the way. Our second responsibility is also there in verse 13 because we are steadfast in our belief about this good news that Christ is risen, Jesus is king, and we have hope in affliction. We believe these things and so then what do we do? We speak. We speak. We proclaim these things. On this mission to help people meet and follow Jesus, we are people who declare to this world that God has raised the Lord Jesus from death to life, and by his grace, he will therefore raise everyone else who believes. We need to start by speaking this to ourselves. Do you ever struggle to believe? Well, preach it to yourself. Tell yourself, don't forget this grace in which we stand. We need to renew our mind to proclaim the truth of God's word to ourselves so that we don't take our eyes off of Christ when things get tough. 
And as a church on this mission, we need to speak it to one another. We need to proclaim these truths to each other, calling one another onward to love and good deeds in daily faithfulness. We exist as a church to help people meet and follow Jesus. And so then we need to proclaim to one another the importance of obedience. We must declare to one another the enduring love of Jesus. That is what your identity is. A beloved child of God. And we need to declare that to one another so that nobody loses heart and falls under the weight of despair when things are tough. And we need to speak the hope we have in Jesus to the skeptical world out there. There are 65,000 people in Maricopa who do not have this hope. And we need to be bold to speak it to them. And in doing that, we need to trust and believe that God's surpassing power is capable of changing people's hearts. Even your hard-hearted neighbor, even your hard-hearted coworker, even that person that you think they would never respond to this gospel. God has planted our church here in Maricopa and given us the responsibility to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ so that the other sheep of Christ's fold that are out there might be found and brought in and loved and cared for and given a home, given the same grace that we ourselves have been given in Christ. Okay, so our one mission is to help people meet and follow Jesus. Our two responsibilities are to believe even in the face of the difficulties and to speak confidently concerning Jesus Christ and the hope we have in him. And then out of those two responsibilities flow three outcomes. We see it in verse 15. Paul writes, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. First, or the first outcome of our believing in Christ and speaking the truth of the gospel, you see it there, hopefully is, that the church is edified. It's all for your sake. Paul says that all of his suffering and his experience of dying to self, it was all for the sake of these people who belonged to the church in Corinth. Paul knew that his hard work in the midst of suffering and his believing and his speaking the truth of Christ that it would bless the church. Friends, the outcome of our obedience to follow Jesus, regardless of the cost, is that the church is built up. The church is encouraged. The church is edified and called ever onwards towards greater love in Jesus. And I want you to know how encouraged I am by you all. I'm encouraged. I, I know I just spent a couple minutes explaining all of the discouraging things that have happened over 12 years, but that's only because I tend to focus on those things. I am deeply encouraged by you. In the midst of the struggle, your faithfulness has bolstered my soul. It has blessed me abundantly. Yes, a few people have left. Yes, a few people have done hurtful things as they've gone but far more are here. And so many of you, I am blessed to see Christ being formed in you. 
and it gives me endurance. I've seen many of you grow over two years, over five years, some of you over eight years. I have seen the kingdom of God take seed in your heart and grow. And I'm blessed by that as a part of the church. I could literally point to so many of you in this room. Like as I look at your faces, I could point to you and I could share with our church incredible stories about the way that your faith has shown to me the surpassing power of God to keep his people, to sanctify his church, to bless his people through all kinds of trials and difficulties. As we hold fast in our belief and we speak about the treasure that we have in Christ on this mission to make followers of Jesus, the outcome of that work is that God's people are strengthened. God's people are encouraged on the journey. And Paul endured all of this suffering knowing that part of the outcome would be that the church would be blessed as a result. And so we endure on this mission for the sake of the church. Now the second outcome of our mission to make disciples through believing and speaking is that, look there again in verse 15, that grace will be extended to more and more people. Increasing thanksgiving to God. Paul was motivated in his mission to make disciples not only because that work would edify the people of God, the church, as it was already constituted, but also because he knew that his work would add grace, that more grace would be given, that more and more people would receive that grace and become members of the kingdom of God, disciples of Jesus. Paul knew that the gospel was the treasure that every person needed. And that it needed to be offered to more and more people. And that's why he gave his life to that work. And we are also invited to join Jesus in extending the gracious borders of his kingdom to more and more hearts. I want to try and and illustrate this. I mean, one of the greatest privileges of my life has been to participate with God and participate with my wife in bringing into this world for human beings, human beings that have eternal souls. And of course, you know, my son comes up here and reads the the scripture and I'm sitting there, I'm just beaming with pride, right? And my 13-year-old son, your 13, 12, 12-year-old son. (laughs) But truly, it never ceases to amaze me that God saw fit to allow me Like he knows who I am, but he saw fit to allow me to partner with him and with my wife in the creation of four new human beings with eternal souls. Four more people exist in this world because of that privilege. But the truth is, as much as that privilege is an incredible blessing, that privilege pales in comparison to partnering with God in bringing the souls of people into the everlasting kingdom of God. You know, not too long ago, we had the privilege of baptizing Ryan and Heidi, and for whatever reason, they're not here this morning. But I can't stop thinking about what a wonderful thing it is that God's grace was extended to them. 
they too received this grace. They have trusted in Jesus like we have trusted in Jesus. And they too have found the inexpressible treasure that we have in Christ. And now they are part of this church family. They've joined us on the journey that we are on to follow Jesus. And frankly, whatever we might suffer along the way, it is more than worth it to have Ryan and Heidi be part of our family, isn't it? And we're given the responsibility as we follow Jesus to believe and to speak in order that the same grace that we have that defines who we are, that is the treasure at the core of our hearts, that it might be extended to more and to more people. You might think of it kind of like a midwife. We are spiritual midwives, my friends. Here in Maricopa right now, there are pre-born Christians germinating in the womb of God's mercy, waiting to receive new birth in Jesus Christ. Predestined to be children of God from before the foundation of the world, according to the will of God by His grace and His mercy. And we are called to go and proclaim that the children of God might be brought into the kingdom of God. That we might be co-laborers with God in giving spiritual birth and eternal life to these people who are born into the kingdom of God. And so the second outcome of our faithfulness to this mission to help people meet and follow Jesus is that many more sons and daughters of God will have grace extended to them as we persevere in our faith and also our faithfulness to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And the third and final outcome of our one mission and our two responsibilities, it's the most wonderful of all, if you can believe it. If you can imagine even greater things than I have already said, there is yet greater things still to be said. It's found there in verse 15 as well at the end. Paul says, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. When a church is focused on its mission to teach people to follow Jesus and to obey his commands, when the church is steadfast in its faith and bold to proclaim the hope of the gospel, when the people of God are edified and the kingdom of God is multiplied, then the glory of Jesus is greatly magnified in the church. His glory has always been there. Don't misunderstand, it's not dependent upon you. But our work in this mission makes it known. We see the glory of Christ in the work of salvation more and more clearly. And, it, and even more so when all of this happens through afflictions and trial and hardship. Look back at verse 7, Paul says that this proves the surpassing power of God in the work of the gospel. That the church and the kingdom of God and the building up of these things is all because of God and God alone, not man. Don't you see? Each one of us has been invited into this, into the mission of God to see the glory of Christ established through the kingdom of God. That's what you're invited to. And that comes through making disciples of Christ Jesus to the praise of his glory. This is why we are here. 
This is why we exist as a church. And I, I don't really want to like chase anybody away, but if you're not here for this mission, then this probably isn't the best church for you. I would hope that you are here because at least somewhere inside of you, there's some flame of passion burning around this. We are not here as a church, first and foremost, actually for you, for you to feel better about yourself or to give you some vague notion of morality and a sense of goodness or fulfillment or to let you feel a warm spiritual experience when you come to church and you sing songs, some tingly in the back of your neck. That's not what we're here for. We are here as a church to lift high the name of Jesus so that the weightiness of his unseen eternal glory might actually be experienced by the people of God, by you and by others in Maricopa. Just before our verses in 2 Corinthians 4, look back just a little way, back to verse 5. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember that from Genesis? God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The church that Jesus established then exists for this grand purpose, to share the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ, which we have seen in Christ. And when that light is clearly perceived, it radically, fundamentally changes people. It transforms hearts. It takes people who are God-haters and makes them God-lovers. It gives birth to an eternal hope in the midst of a life of despair. Paul writes in another place in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this is our mission at Maricopa Springs Family Church, to help people meet and follow Jesus, that they too might share in the same hope that we have and might see with us the glory that we ourselves are perceiving in Christ. So let me kind of close with just a recap. This mission that we're on to help people meet and follow Jesus, we accomplish it by trusting in the one who has the power to accomplish it, God. We believe. And as we trust him, then we are courageous to speak boldly about this hope that we have in Jesus. And we can be sure that as we labor in these responsibilities to believe and to speak, that God is going to bear much fruit for his kingdom and his glory. And the outcome then of that work on this mission will be threefold. The church will be edified. The church will grow in love for God. Grace will be extended to more and more people so that the kingdom of God increases. And all of this work will magnify the glory of of Jesus Christ. And it will increase our joy because we have a share in that eternal glory in Christ. That's why we're here as a church. And again, I would say I would hope that 
the reason that you are here and you are part of our church and you participate in the life of our church is because you also are on this mission to help people meet and follow Jesus. Because you feel the responsibility to believe and to proclaim. And because you long for these outcomes, that the church would be edified, that more people would receive grace, and that Christ would be glorified. Nothing in this life, my friends, has more weight, more meaning, than seeing Jesus formed in our own hearts, and then also the hearts and lives of others to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh God, would you, would you teach us to believe that statement that nothing in this life has more weight or more meaning than seeing Jesus formed in our hearts and in the hearts of others. God, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to disbelieve. I simply ask that through your spirit, as a powerful work of God, that you would teach us to believe these things. To believe them in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, in our actions. And in that believing then to boldly proclaim these things. And God, we do ask for these outcomes. Not by our work or our efforts, but by the power of your spirit. That your church would be edified in this mission that we're on. And that more people would enter your kingdom through the work that we're doing. And God, that you would be glorified because behind our work is the movement, the power of God, the power of the Spirit. So Lord, we lay these things at your feet and we ask that you would draw us into these things for Christ's sake. Amen.